1 John 3, verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do, con- do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. Let me pray for us that God would apply the truth of his word to our lives. Father, I ask that having heard your word, as we now reflect upon it, that you would change our hearts. Lord, for those that that listen without knowing your love, that they would see the grace and mercy of Jesus, even as we've watched it on display in baptism. Lord, for those that come with questions and doubts, Lord, I pray that they would find answers because you are the God of truth. Lord, for those of us who follow after Jesus, Lord, make us willing to love as we have been loved. And so we come praying in the name of Jesus. Amen. The human drama spirals quickly. Just think of how the Bible begins in the goodness, the perfection of creation. God making Adam and Eve living in relationship with God, without sin, in perfect relationship. And yet we only get to the third chapter of the Bible before Adam and Eve rebel against God, bringing the punishment, the condemnation of death into the world. And then you only have to turn one chapter. You only move one generation to their sons. The first two children born in the world, we're told, end up one of them killing the other. That's what John is referencing here for us in his letter, writing to those that would have heard this message preached, probably even reflecting back on sermons he had preached to them, lessons he had taught them about the goodness of God's creation and the brokenness of our sin. That only one generation into humanity's existence We have Cain murdering Abel. And so the command is clear. Don't be like Cain. The command is to love one another. Look look back at verse 11 with me. This is is one of those passages that, that makes the main point for us repeatedly. It's as if John has 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 written this in, in bold type. And maybe he wrote it in, a, in, a, in, a, in bigger print so that they would see it. But, but he says it explicitly in verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. 
He's shouting to get their attention. And what is the message? We should love one another. We are called to love one another. He'll repeat it then at the end of the, this passage that we read. God's command in verse 23 includes that we must love one another even as Jesus commanded us to love one another. And so John uses the example of Cain to expose the sinfulness that lurks in each of our hearts, wanting us not only to kind of point the finger back in history, along the timeline of history back at Cain, oh, what a terrible guy he was. He's forcing us to stop and say, but what about me? What about my heart? Okay, but before we even jump into this, I recognize some of you are already sort of shaking your heads and thinking, oh, you got to be kidding me. He thinks Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel were real people? Hasn't he ever, like, been to the library in the children's section, and when you pull out the books and it's obviously meant to be a fable? Because maybe that's, that's your reaction when you hear this biblical claim about Cain and Abel. You think, oh, this is like referring to Aesop's fables, or this would be like watching a Disney movie and then on your way out making a moral lesson to your children about it. You're just taking something fictional, obviously fictional, and you can draw real truths from those kinds of things, but we're not meant to b believe they were real people. So, so I, I, I'm not going to take time to, to sort of build the, the full theological argument. Really what I want to do is, is just challenge you. If you, if you want to dismiss Adam and Eve as real, I, I want you to at least recognize the Bible. John himself believes they were real people because John was taught by Jesus that Adam and Eve were real, made by God, special creation in the image of God. And actually, the, the, that's, not the, that's not the most radical thing John is wanting you to believe today. That's not the most radical claim that I'm going to make to you today. John makes the claim that we have moved from death to life because he believes Jesus, God's own son, came from heaven to earth, lived a life of perfect obedience, and died in the place of sinners, was dead and raised from the dead. All right, so the story of Adam and Eve, I, I almost just want you to kind of set that aside for now. Let's, let's not even wrestle with that question yet. Because Jesus is making a much bigger claim. John is telling us that to be a Christian is to believe something even more radical than that God made people. It's that God sent his son to die in our place, that God raised his son from the dead. Jesus reigns as the king eternal. And so here's the thing. If that's true, and that is the central claim of, of the Christian gospel, that's, that's the main thing that the church is, is built around, the death and resurrection of Jesus then if that's true, you and I are called to place our absolute trust in Jesus. Because he's shown us such extravagant love, we, we would have to respond with that kind of love back to him. And if it's true, then it means smaller things, which I get, I'm, I'm still making a big claim that God made Adam and Eve. But in comparison, in comparison to the resurrection, well, that one's easy to believe. And so just, just kind of stick with the, 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 the thrust today. But I really am. John, John is not merely pointing back to Cain as this fictional, figurative character. He's pointing to a real historical event. But then he's, he's using Cain's sin to show something about us. Right, the, the story is simple. Back in Genesis chapter 4, these first two sons of Adam and Eve are told to, to bring, they, they bring to the Lord the offerings. Cain's offering 
was not accepted because of, we're told in John, the sin in his own heart. His own actions, verse 12, were evil. But his brothers were righteous. And so what happens in Genesis 4 is that the, the, the sin that lurks in his heart, and, and it's even the language there of sin crouching at his door, like ready to leap. You know, like somebody who, when you walk into a dark room and somebody jumps out at you, you know, like you, if you had siblings, they, they would pull that kind of trick, or maybe they still do it to you at your house. Somebody still lurk, somebody lurking, waiting to get you. It, that sin was lurking within Cain, and his anger gave freedom to sin to take over and, and let, let his heart turn to the place where, because of his anger at God, and because God accepted his, his brother's offering, he decides that the best solution to the problem he now faces of frustration with God and anger toward God is to kill his brother. And then when God shows up on the scene, he says, I don't know where he is. What am I, my brother's keeper? Like, was I supposed to be looking after him? Well, the answer is, yes, of course, you're your brother's keeper. Of course, you're meant to be in a loving relationship with your brother. And of course, God who knows everything, John will tell us. Of course, God knows what happened. And so we're seeing that, that it wasn't merely the actions of murder. It was the evil lurking within him that is really the danger. Because you might be smarter than Cain. Or maybe just better able to get away with stuff than Cain was. But what John wants us to see is that we have murderous thoughts, murderous ideas lurking within us. We are murderers. That's actually directly what he, what he says. Look at verse 14. That we who are murderers, though, still have hope. But, but look at the end of verse 14. Anyone who does not love remains in death. In verse 15, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You are guilty, John is saying, church. He's, he's writing to people gathered in a, in a worship service, maybe not in a, in a building this well lit, but, but gathered in a church service. And, and he's saying to them, when you hate one another, you are guilty of the sin of Cain. John is just reflecting the teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons that Jesus preached. When Jesus says, you've, you've heard it said, because God said it in the commandments, do not murder. It's one of the top ten. Do not murder. But, but then Jesus presses it further. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. That to, that to expose the, the hatred in our hearts is the same morally in terms of the attitudes, the evil that lurks within us. Okay, now, obviously hatred and murder are at different levels in terms of the impact on your family, in terms of the impact on society. But what Jesus is saying, but the same sin that led Cain to murder is the sin that lurks within us. But John then doesn't want the church to, 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 to stop there. He's reminding them, verse 14, that we have passed from death. We are not murderers. We should not live with that kind of hatred. We've passed from death to life. Because that's the pattern of the Christian, because it's the pattern of Christ. Christ died, Christ now lives. We were dead in our sins, 
We've been made alive if we've put our trust in Christ. We were dead because we were condemned. We were found guilty. We've been freed, forgiven. We've been made alive. We've passed from death to life. And then John will make it explicit. In case, in case we're, we're tempted to think that it's about us, it's about what we've done, it's about who we are, then he makes it explicit in verse 16 who is responsible for bringing us from death to life. Look at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Again, it's one of those billboard statements forcing us to stop and say, I should listen to what comes next. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. All right, if you don't hear anything else today, this is what you need to hear. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ died in the place of sinners. That is the core, the central message of Christianity, that Jesus died for sinners. It's the message John has been repeating over and over. If you've, if you've heard any of the sermons in this series where we've been looking at 1 John, then, then you've heard this repeated. Why do we love others? Because Jesus loved us. And so John shows us that logic here in verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's the message John heard Jesus preach to his disciples, John, with the, the 11 apostles. After Judas had left the Last Supper, Judas then came back and Jesus was arrested. But, but while Jesus was with the 11, in those final moments of his life on earth, he taught his disciples. He told them what love looks like. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's following the command that Jesus gave to his disciples. Love each other as I have loved you. See, there's, there's nothing new, there's nothing novel in what John is saying. He's, he's literally just repeating what Jesus taught. But see, that's all Christian preaching is ever meant to be. I'm just saying for you, repeating it, emphasizing it, what God has taught us. So you should always be able to point back in, the, in your biblical text and say, wait, what is he talking about? And say, oh, there it is. It's verse 16. 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We're called to, to give our lives in service of others. And, and now John will get, will get he, he's been very theological, right? He's been kind of speaking in these lofty terms, and now he's going to get practical. He's going he's gonna to say, okay, so let's, let's talk about what does that look like? Look at verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? He says, what's it look like to lay down your life? See, you're not waiting for that, that medal of honor moment when, you're, when your physical life will be on the line. He's saying, how, how will you know what it looks like to lay down your life? Just think of the attitude you had as you drove into the parking lot this morning. Now, maybe you don't notice what anyone else drives. Maybe that's, that's not the way your heart works. But as you drove in and you looked at people that had nicer cars than you, and you thought, huh, wonder if they're really using, I mean, you re, I mean, who really needs that? Or you drove in and saw somebody that's driving something much junkier than yours, and you thought, 
I mean, I, I would never. I mean, we make snap. Maybe you don't do it with cars. Maybe you're nicer than I am. But I walked over, so I didn't see what any of you are driving. <laughs> but we do it quickly. We make snap judgment, judgments about people and their worth. When you're driving down the street and you, you know, click the door lock really fast to make sure, well, I don't, I don't want to be near that kind of person. When you're on a sidewalk and you give wide berth, when you, when you, when you look at the way someone, I mean, Sam and I, we, we had an opportunity to visit cousins uh, earlier this week, and on our way back, we, we stopped at a, a fast food place. And there was a guy sitting in there, and I made an immediate judgment. Now, I think I was actually right that he was homeless based on what he had with him. But my attitude wasn't an attitude of pity. It was, man, this has got to be bad for business. Somebody like that sitting in here. And then, and I don't think Sam even noticed, someone else in the restaurant walked over and offered to buy him a meal. And I thought, oh, that's what love would look like. Not thinking, how dare he come in here, but thinking, well, I'm about to step up and order. It wouldn't be all that hard for me to order something extra. But what would it require? It would require me looking at him, seeing him as someone made in the image of God, loving him enough to say, hey, could I buy you some food today? Now, he actually didn't need anything because apparently somebody else had already ordered him something earlier. So there were at least two people nicer than I was there. See, John is saying, What's it look like to understand the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It, it, it's very practical. How do you treat others? What does, what does it look like in your own life? Do you have pity and compassion on others? Because to merely talk about helping others, verse 18, to merely love with words or tongue, that's not enough. I mean, John is repeating what, what James, the, the brother of, of Jesus, teaches in, in James chapter 2 where we read, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or, and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? So to merely know that I'm supposed to love others is meaningless. How do I lay down my life? I do it in small ways. I do it a couple of dollars at a time. Or maybe for you it's a couple of hundred dollars or a couple of thousand dollars when you see someone in need. And our deacons want to want to foster that. And, and you saw two of our deacons standing before you this morning at the at the baptism today. They want you to give generously so that they can, but they also want you to bring needs to them. I mean, right now we're the deacons are in a good position where we have money that you have generously donated, but we need to know about the needs so that we can meet the needs. And so so talk, I mean, Joe and Nate, we're standing up front this morning. Or talk to one of the pastors. Come and make needs known so that we can help. Because you might think, well, I don't have personally a couple of thousand dollars to meet this need, but I know there is this need. A brother or sister in the church, she won't bring it up. She won't say it. He won't, he, he's, he's too, bring the need because that's what, that's what the gospel looks like. It looks like caring for and loving one another in practical and simple ways. Because when you understand the love of Jesus, then you don't actually, see, see, John is not trying to cause anxiety here. He's not trying to, to sort of push you out and say, so go out this week and be better at loving other people. And you should be anxious because I'm, next week I'm going to check in on you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how terrible you all did and how, what rotten, awful people you are next week. No, he's not trying to cause anxiety. What he actually want, wants to do is put us at rest. 
He wants us to know your salvation is not dependent upon the things that you do. Your salvation is so big and so great. Jesus has done all of it. And so you don't have to worry. You can actually just go love extravagantly. I mean, look at, look at the way he makes the argument. Look at, look at verses 19 and 20. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Our hearts can be at rest. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to worry. He, he, he repeats it then in verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. See, John is reminding the church that the gift that God gives, the gift of eternal life, the gift of forgiveness of sins, the gift of restored relationship with God, is not something that we earn. It's not something that we could deserve. It's not as if I, what I'm, I'm not saying to you, if you give enough money to church, you can buy your salvation. I'm not saying to you, if you are nice to enough people this week, you'll gain enough merit for yourself to, to earn salvation. No, that's not what John is saying. What he, he, he's making the opposite argument. He's saying, look at how big and glorious God's love is. Now live with confidence in that love. Because it's not dependent on what you will do this week. It's dependent upon what Jesus has already done. Jesus has done everything. Now, how will you know that your heart is at rest? How will you know that that's true? How will you know that you understand it? Well, you're going to start living more generously, more extravagantly. You're actually going to love people better when you know that it's not dependent upon you. See, because if we're always scheming, if we're always walking into situations and trying to say, what can I get out of this? Then when you're giving the money, you're not giving the money to the person in need. You're giving the money to yourself. You see? You see? If, if you're trying to earn your salvation, if you're trying to gain the gift of eternal life, then you're not, you're not buying a meal to help that person. You're buying a meal to help your self. And that means you'll never be at rest because you've always got to do more. You've always got to be trying to figure out, have I done enough? How do I compare to other people? Am I good enough? And the answer, no. You, in your own strength, no matter how much money you give, even if it has zeros falling off the end of it, it will not be enough. But when you see that you have been accepted, when your hearts are at rest, when you have confidence before God because you've received the gift, well, now when you give, you can actually give to help the other person. Because it doesn't change your status before God. You are loved and accepted because of what Jesus has done for you. You're not doing it to earn God's favor. You're doing it because of God's favor. That's, what, that's John's main argument. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and now, Understanding that, and now recognizing that, and now knowing that to be true with confidence, with assurance of this salvation, lay down your lives for your brothers. And so John will, will repeat the command for us, the command that we, we saw back in verse 11, that we should love one another. He'll repeat it for us in verse 23. I mean, he really does make the preacher's job easy here because he bolds the main point of the sermon, and then he repeats it at the end, verse 23. This is God's command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. You see, it's the same argument. Jesus laid down his life, and so lay down your life. Believe in Jesus. That comes first. That's the priority. 
to trust in Jesus, but, but it, it means to give everything to Jesus, to surrender yourself completely by confessing your sin, by acknowledging He is your only hope of salvation, to put your trust in Jesus. And so don't be like Cain who murdered his brother. Be like Jesus who gave his own life. As a 10-year-old, Tobias Bass wrote a, wrote a letter to his local news station in Oklahoma. He was asking for help because he'd, he'd seen on the news when his mom would have it on sometimes in the evenings, he would see that sometimes they would, they would announce a worthy cause and they would ask people of Oklahoma to, to give in order to support this cause. And so Tobias wanted a little bit of help because his big brother Titus, at 11 years old, just a year older than him, his, his big brother has cerebral palsy. And Titus would, uh, uh, Tobias would watch his big brother sit at the window and watch kids outside playing it, and he knew that his brother wanted to be out there and, and participate in it. So, so he, he asks for help. He wants to run with his brother in a 5K race. And so this is, this is the part of the letter he wrote to the news station. This is a letter from a 10-year-old. I hear you guys on the news sometimes when something bad happens, asking people to help. Well, I don't, I don't want any money, but I need help. My, my pastor said that we have to be God's hands and feet, but I'm going to be his legs too. My brother is 11, and he has cerebral palsy. He wants to go outside and play with the other kids. So I decided I would start by pushing him in a 5K race, and then we'd work our way up to an Ironman or something like that. Here's the part I need help with. My mom's a teacher, and she can't afford one of those fancy running, pushing strollers, and all I have is a baby stroller, and I don't think it'll fit Titus. Can you go on the news and, and ask people not to give me anything, just ask if somebody would loan me a running stroller so that I can push my brother in the race? Do you see a brother's love? But Tobias gives his, his reason, and obviously the people of Oklahoma responded. A foundation gave a specialized, modified, customized running stroller to this family. But, but Tobias, in the letter to the, the, news, the news reporters, he gives his reason for wanting to show this love to his brother. He says, he says well, 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 I've been in jiu-jitsu since I was five, and I play football, so I'm physically ready. And I'm going to be a pastor someday, and my mentor is my pastor, so I'm spiritually prepared. And so if somebody could just loan me a pusher, I'll volunteer myself to other parents who want to run with their kids too. I can be the legs for more than one kid. See, our love for others is rooted in the love we have seen from God. I mean, Tobias, at, 11, at 10 years old, is giving you this gospel message. I want to love my brother because I have been loved by Jesus. See, this is God's command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. I pray that where our sin has been exposed, where our selfishness, where our, our pride and arrogance, Lord, that we would come to Jesus and find forgiveness. Father, in ways in which we have been trusting in ourselves or even doing good, but for our own sake. 
Lord, let us receive the love, the gift that is offered to us through Jesus so that we can freely, completely, totally love. Lord, I pray that you would apply your word, you would make us a church that shows love one to another because of the love we have from Jesus, our Savior. Lord, let this message, the message of the work of Jesus, be on our lips this week as we interact with family. Lord, let it be on our, our lips as we, as we share the good news with teammates, with classmates, with coworkers, with neighbors. Lord, make us bold in announcing this good news that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Father, as we're concluding worship, we pray for our youth missions team as they travel home today. They've already gathered in worship early this morning. They're beginning their long trip, trek home and will arrive early tomorrow. Lord, we pray for their endurance, their perseverance, for their safety. And Lord, I pray that as they share what they have done in the name of Jesus, Lord, that we would be, as a church, emboldened to love one another, to love those around us. We come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.